Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. Hey, my name is Adam Venters. I'm the campus minister for the Baptist Collegiate Ministry in Little Rock. It's called Little Rock BCM. Um, You didn't know this, but I'm actually your missionary. Uh, which is really great because I'm like on church staff here, but nobody here voted on me, I don't think. Uh, so that's really nice, you know. I mean, uh, but I like telling churches that a lot of them don't know that at least at the nine major campuses and actually at 36 community colleges throughout the state, uh, there is some kind of BCM presence there. And, and our ministry to college students is an extension of the local church. Like we are, we are from the church on the campus, and the goal is, is to be for every student while we're there, you know. And sharing the gospel, doing whatever needs to happen in order to make Christ known on those particular campuses. So I have the honor and the pleasure of serving you as your campus missionary at UALR and Pulaski Tech and at Bowen Law School and UAMS. And so I'm really excited to do that. Um, my name is Adam. I have a wife. Her name is Lindsay. Praise God, I got a wife. I, you know what I mean? Like, I made it 25 years of my life, didn't have one, and I finally got one at 25. And I was like, oh, man, this could not get any better than what it is. And so the last uh, six years we've been married, we have two boys. Uh, we have a five-year-old named Bo and a four-year-old named Rigby. And if you can do math, yeah, so you, you gotta, you've got been married for six and you had one at five. It's like, yeah, nine months from the wedding night we had our baby. You know what I mean? Like, that's how our marriage goes. Um, and, and so it's been, it's been a blast. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know that we're the best family all the time, but we're fun. I can tell you that. We're fun. Um, and so... Uh, gosh, I don't know what any of that has to do with anything, but I'm glad you're playing along at least up to this point. Um, so no, I, uh, my wife, uh, she works on staff uh, at a church in Little Rock, and so uh, we're both in ministry. One of my favorite stories is to tell is, is how we actually met. So we were in Greek class together, and I saw this really pretty girl in seminary. You know what I mean? Like, there's way more dudes than there's chicks, you know what I mean? So when you see a pretty one, like, you got to get to him for all other dudes do, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the way it works. And so uh, I saw this one girl, she's in my Greek class, and, uh, and I just knew, we took a Greek class, and I don't know if, how many of y'all studied Greek before, but like, listen, like, if you're kind of like me, and you grew up in Appalachia, Tennessee, where like education really isn't their deal, you know, um, you got to find somebody that education and there's their deal. And so I latched onto her in Greek class, and she just carried me all the way through that bad boy. And, uh, and here we are, we figured if we can make it through Greek class, we can make it through kids and stuff too, you know? And so, um, so that's, we met in Greek class when we were in seminary. Um, I, I, I say this, so whenever, you know, we were in New Orleans and we were kind of feeling called uh, to go elsewhere, or, you know, that New Orleans wasn't going to be where we did ministry at any longer, uh, you know, we started putting out resumes. That's always the real noble thing in ministry. You start throwing out resumes every place, you know. And I think in that, I, I think I did, a, I, I did a phone interview with like 60 churches. I did like a sit-down interview with between eight churches or something like that, trying to figure out if they wanted to hire me kind of deal. And, and my wife, I think she sent out two resumes maybe. I know she sent out one, you know what I mean? And that's the church where we ended up going to. And so I tell dudes, I was like, even if, you know, you and your wife are in the same line of work, like if she's better than you, like if you just latch on to her, man, she'll just pull you everywhere in life. You know what I mean? And it, it works for you, you know. Um, gosh, we're way off. Like, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 eventually. Um, and so that's where we'll be at this morning. But I, I, that's a little bit about me. That's a snapshot. I gave my life to Christ when I was 16 years old in high school. And through, and I, I didn't know anything about God 
uh, you're, after the sermons I'm with you, you're going to probably debate on whether I know anything now, too. Um, but when I gave my life to Christ, my parents weren't believers. Um, and, and so really what fostered a lot of my faith, and one of the reasons why I really love student ministries and, and all the work that goes into it. Like I got to talk to my brother, does cabinetry. You know, he's really sweet. He's a really nice guy. Like my dad does cabinet work, and I help my dad not really do cabinet work, so I know all about cabinets, you know what I mean? So we were talking last night, and I can just tell, after it was over with, I laid down my bed, I was like, I don't, I, I started thinking back on some of the stuff I've said, I'm like, I'm pretty sure 90% of that was not true, what I said about cabinets. But he just shook his head and nodded, like, oh yeah, that sounds awesome, you know what I mean? Like, so everybody needs an active ear, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but in my life, what happened was, I went to a school called Carson Newman College, really just to play football. And if you don't know anything about Carson Newman, Carson Newman is a Baptist university. And while I went there, I thought I was pretty good at football. And um, when I got there, I realized I was really terrible at football. And my coach, who loved the Lord a lot, they actually just made a documentary about him. His name is Ken, Ken Sparks. Um, he, and through his influence and the influence of several other people, actually like helped guide me into the ministry in a sense. And so where my family unit didn't really have that much guidance, what I found was even in me not really knowing the decisions I was making, like going to Carson Newman, like I just, you know what I mean? Like I didn't know what was there, but God knew every bit of what was there. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's incredible what God knows. And one of the things we've been going through this weekend, and some of you all know some of these things, but there's three things that every believer thinks about God that if you grew up in church, you, you just naturally think these way, this way. But when I was 16 years old, you know, I'd, there would be a preacher or somebody stand up here like this, and they would say this, that this is God's word. It's holy, fallible, and inerrant word. And we worship a God that's all-powerful, he's everywhere, and he's all-knowing. And I would just be like, what? Like, I don't even understand, you know what I mean? Like, what? Like who cares like, if he's all-powerful, all-knowing everywhere, you know? And so there's a lot of things that I've come to believe about God and know that I've tried to make sense to myself of why that's important. And, and one of the things this morning, so this, this weekend, what we went over with the students is, is why, why it's important that they understand that God's all powerful. And it's because when we read God's word, if we're stuck in a situation, God has the ability in that moment to show us his word according to the situation that we're in and to, to, to take, to lift those circumstances off of us. And it can happen in the moment that you read the scriptures, you know? We talked about God being everywhere. And the reason why that's important is sometimes in your life, like what you try to do is you try to run from God. You try to be everywhere actually that God's not. And the reality is, is God's everywhere. But the nice thing about that, the amazing thing about that is that there is no place that you can go that God's not there right there with you. It doesn't matter what situation that you need guidance out of. It doesn't matter how narrow the circumstances is circumstances are, God can navigate you out of those things, man. So this morning, one of the things I just want to share a little bit about is God's ability to have all knowledge. Like he has all knowledge. And what I love, at least some of you all over in school, I hope everybody at some point in time has been to school that's in here. So there's, at least you understand this, that there's a, there's a part of your life where you realize like, I'm learning because I'm becoming something. Like, I'm going to learn math and how to read and how to write because I want to become like an adult one day and make my way through life and have a job that's worthwhile and all that kind of stuff. 
But there's a part of us, even when we're managers and CEOs and business people and all that kind of stuff, that what we're trying to do in our situation and in our circumstance is we're trying to gather enough facts and information so that we can make a decision that actually matters. Like we have a conflict in our life or in our business. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to see every side of the story. We're trying to discern what facts are, are, are more true or less true or whatever. And then we're trying to make a projection off of that that's going to be not only beneficial, but it's going to be good. And the amazing thing about what who God is, is God ain't learning nothing. Like he doesn't have to go to school He's not trying to figure out and discern the facts that are there so that he can make a projection about something. Like he already knows. And this is what we know about God. We always have access to him. Like actually this is what the scriptures say in a lot of places. Is that we, we have not because we ask not, That there's plenty of situations that if we would just ask God what he would want us to do and what, we, what information we need to make the best decision that's good not only for ourselves but for the people around us. All we got to do is ask. There's no knowledge that's outside of his ability to know and in not only to know, but to give it to us. Sometimes we just don't ask. And I'll say this. I don't know why we don't ask. I don't know if it's like a lack of understanding or lack of knowledge. I have no idea. I just know the reality of my own life in a lot of situations and in other people, like, we just don't ask God. Like, I, I think this is so funny and it's really, like, it's pretty hilarious. Like, I work with college students and I can't tell you how many of them come to college and they'll talk, I'll be like, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to be a nurse. So I was like, well, that's great. Why do you want to be a nurse? Because my mom was a nurse. My grandmother was a nurse. My dad-in-law was a doctor. You know what I mean? Like, they'll just start working through stuff, you know? And I, and I just kind of ask them. I was like, well, that's cool. I was like, like, when did God kind of reveal it to you that you should be a nurse? And they're like, and I'm not saying being a nurse is bad. And I'm not saying, like, having that, that lineage or legacy of nurses in your family isn't, like, a, a major fact that should steer your life. I, I guess just the point is, is, like, if God created all the earth and everything in it, you would think that you would at least consult him on what your gifts, talents, and strengths would be when it would come to the vocation that you're going to have, that you're going to have to spend four years, 128 hours, tons of money, thousands of dollars, sleepless nights. You, you think you would consult him a little bit before journeying on the endeavor, you know? So this is all that I really want to say this morning about this. Is that this morning, like God really wants you to know some things. He wants you to know more about himself concerning not only the world that's around you, but about you. But God actually cares a lot about you and a lot about what you know and a lot about how you understand him and how your life is. And I want to share with you just one very practical thing. And it has to do with worship services and response times and things like that. This is what it says in James chapter 1. You don't have to flip there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3. But I'm going to read this out. This is James chapter 1, and this is verse 22. This is what it says. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. And whenever he leaves, he forgets what he looks like. So what are, you, what are you talking about? Let's press into this just a little bit. 
It means that whenever God's word is spoken or read, and I'll say this, I, I'm not God. I'm barely the son of God, you know what I mean, on some level through his, his son Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, like, so there is nothing godly about this picture up here, you know what I mean? But I'll say this, there's everything godly about these words written on this page right here. And so the reality of that is when God's word is read on Sunday mornings, in your quiet times, whenever you do them throughout the week, God's word always demands a response. It actually, what James would go on to say is, it's actually inappropriate for you to hear God's word, to engage in his scripture, to read it, and to not do something after that, whatever the doing part is. And I'll just say this, I go speak in a lot of churches and common, like I'll give the invitation, and I don't know when invitations stop being inviting, but man, you wouldn't know that anybody had ever read the scripture, and we'll see this today, at least in our passage of scripture, every time God moves and his word moves in somebody's life, they respond. We're going to see today, man, the guy is lame for years and he gets up walking and jumping and praising God. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you in the Gospels, whenever Jesus shares with people, they get up from whatever their situation is and they shout and they praise God. They turn from things. They walk. It's always a word given by God that leads to a physical, like a physical bodily reaction inside of the scriptures. But yet anytime I go speak or something like that, I have a... When I was in New Orleans, man, I was the only white dude in the church that I was at for a long time. And so, man, you can feel free to talk or anything like that. The sermon goes, the sermon goes shorter whenever you talk back to me because I'll stop talking and I'll just let y'all praise and that kind of thing. But, man, anytime we see it in the scripture where God speaks and people move, the heavens rejoice. And so I don't even know what that means at the end of this. This is what I'm going to tell you. There's going to be an invitation. It's going to be twofold. One of the invitations is going to be for you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. John's going to be right down on the front. If you come down sloppy, snot flung, you know, coming out of your nose, foam coming out of your tears coming down your eyes, I just think that's the response. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'll say this. I don't think that's not normal. Like it is. When I was a, when I was a sophomore in high school, that was my response. I've seen adults time and time again, man, like they don't know how to respond to God and it just gets overwhelming in the moment and that's how they respond. And I'm just going to say for us to sit in church and act like that moment is not the moment that we don't hope for, pray for, and need in our lives. I think we've tricked ourselves, man. This is what I see. When it comes to the invitation, God's word being read and our response that comes from that. If our response is at salvation, I think our response should be hugging this altar, hugging our pews, tears coming down our faces, asking God to show us somebody in our life that needs God. Because I'll just say this, and maybe I'm just too biased because this was me, but there's a group of ladies at First Baptist Church of Fall Branch that prayed me into that church, man. I saw my name on the board when I walked into the church into a Sunday school class. They prayed me into the church. And I tell you what, when at 16 years old, I gave my life to the Lord and it's changed every single other decision that I've made in my life since then. And I'll just say this. I think that's phenomenal. That, that it is possible that there is a decision that you can make that changes every other decision that you would make. And it'd be good. I gotta say this. I know plenty of people that make decisions and it changes every other single decision they have to make. Because they made a really bad one. Like, why don't we flip the script a little bit and make a good decision that changes all other decisions 
and it changes our lives for the better. So let's look. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3 today. And if there's a, there's a slide that comes up, there, there should be another one about missions and maps. We'll see that. If you, there's, there's two points that come out of this that also I want you to see. Um, if you don't get anything else, they're up on the board, so you can at least write them down. If you're a visual learner, this is helpful. If you're not, like we'll get into the scripture and it'll be helpful. But God's mission is our map. God's mission is our map. If you'll actually flip, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. I want to show you one verse in Acts chapter 1, and this will be helpful for you for at least a second. But this is what it says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And Jesus says this to his the followers. So Jesus, who at this particular time, they believe him to be the Lord and the Savior, not of just a, a group of people, not of some weird cult that exists in the first century, but of all the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you're an English person or you like writing a lot, this verse right here, the book of Acts, is what's understood to be a type of history. So the Gospels are historical, but they're historical in the sense they're like a biography. Acts, the book of Acts, is historical in the sense it's a, it's a biography, but it's the early church history beginning. So it's not focused just on one person, but multiple people. And they're pretty easy to identify as you go through. The first beginning of it is focused on Peter and John, and then it switches later to Paul. But this is what you see in Acts, the beginning of the history of the church. In Acts chapter 3, this is what it says. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. This is going to be kind of a running commentary a little bit. We'll pause right there just for a second. And we'll, for a quick word from our sponsors. Um, <laughs> no, that's, I don't know who our sponsors are. Um, this, is, this is what I think this is really helpful. From the very beginning of the early church in how they understood Jesus to be powerful and impactful in their lives. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer. What does that mean? It at least means this. That whatever had happened in their life by Jesus. That practically in their lives, the best thing for them to do in organizing themselves was for them to have dedicated times of prayer, scripture reading. What, what, what do you mean by that? I, I mean at least this. I think that it is really awesome that you're here this morning. I think that it is. I don't know if this is your regular rhythm of being here on a Sunday morning and sitting where you're sitting or thereabouts, but I think that it's powerful. I think we've always seen the, earth, the church organize themselves and kind of make this time special. And I know this. I know with like social media and being able to watch stuff online. And, I, you know, I got small kids. And I've, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you bring small kids to church and it's like, oh my gosh, man. Like, like I think everybody wants to murder me right now. You know what I mean? Like they're like everywhere. They're whining and all that kind of stuff. And this is all I would say. And for young families, this is what I would encourage you, man. And for families that are older that see families with young kids. I do everything in the world to protect this time for people. To make it happen, man. Make them feel as absolutely secure as they can possibly feel in this moment. Make them feel like family, even if they're not. Make them feel welcome, even if they've never been here before. Love, I mean, love them as much as you can love them, man. 
Get them in the doors. Help them protect the time. Remind them. Send them text messages. I had a friend one time tell me, he's like, man, I feel like with adults, you wouldn't have to text so many people about coming to church. I was like, man, I was like, just up your data plan. Like, if that's what it takes for them to get to church, man, like, just keep texting them. You know what I mean? Like, if that's all it takes to remind you, just remind them. Like, don't assume everybody's just taken care of. Assume that you always need to reach out. And I'll say, just do whatever it takes for you to protect worship time. I'll say this. If we were in another country and Sunday mornings, you know, wasn't like the the cultural norm type of deal, I would just say, whatever that time is during the week, do that. You know what I mean? But here, I just think it's a blessing that we have, that we just have the ability to come on a Sunday morning and just to worship. And I don't know how West Memphis is, but in Little Rock, you can get anywhere in Little Rock in 10 minutes on a Sunday morning. There ain't nobody driving. You know what I mean? There is, there's no traffic for anything. Like, it, it's, just, it's just wide open, man. Cops don't give you tickets on Sunday morning. I know that because I've been driving plenty of times to go speak somewhere. And a cop has pulled up right now and he's like, slow down. I'm like, yes, sir. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciate you. You know, Jacksonville Police, shout out to you. Come on. Come on. Um, now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Listen to this. And a man was lame from birth, was being carried there. And he was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg from the entering the so he could beg from those entering the temple. And when Peter and John were about to enter the temple, he asked them for money. Listen, listen to me. This section runs from verses one to ten. It's a pericope. Has a particular point inside of it. Anytime there's a there's a start and an end, and usually it's with scenes and geography, and they'll move places. But there's something that God wants us to know, and and one of the things that God wants us to know is this man's important. Well, how do you know that? It's actually the, a reversal that happens in the text, and it's very subtle, but it's very real. Is does this man have a name? He does. Do we know his name? We don't. Is it because the author is not concerned with giving us names of, like, proper names of people? It's not. And I'll tell you why. Because in the very next verse, it says that this man was lame from birth, carried to the temple each and every day. And then the next verse, right after that, you have two proper names, Peter and John, and they're followed up right behind it. So what is, what is the author trying to tell us in a, in a linguistic, thematic kind of way? What he's trying to communicate to all the readers that are there is that there is this deep struggle within each side of every one of us is that the only person that matters or the only person that we see is ourselves. This man, this is what is crazy about this. The temple, the place where God resides throughout all of Christian history, the place where they go to pray and to read scripture and to give sacrifices, the place where God has come in the Old Testament and he shows up and smokes there and all this other kind of stuff. God, God, God's presence is there and people go there, not only some, some of the time, but they spend weeks, we know, in the calendar of Sabbath and stuff like that. Where they would take off and they would walk all the way from where they were in, in Israel and they would walk to Jerusalem so they could spend a week worshiping God. Like, they knew about the temple. It's not just that they knew what the temple was. It's they knew what, and they did something very specific and special there. But here you have a man, and, it, and this is what's crazy about it. He wasn't a boy. This didn't happen overnight. It says that from birth, he was lame, and he was carried there every single day. What the text tells us 
very plainly is that there should be no person that's out, out of your sight. What Peter and John are about to do is they're about to speak a specific word to this man. But this is what I want you to know. The word that they speak to this man, there is no magic that exists in Peter and John. There's no, they don't have some knowledge that's outside of the common knowledge of the day. This is all that they know is what I'm about to share with you. And it's an indictment on every single person that entered the temple for decade after decade after decade. As this man was laid at the gate every day to beg and to beg and to beg. It's only an indictment on the man and the man's family because this is what they said. Well, you know, uh, he probably doesn't have much worth. So I guess since he can't work, somebody ought to just carry him there and just see if he can beg for some money. We might be able to buy something from it if he begs enough for enough days. Who wants to take him today? You want to take him or do you want me to? Yet you can just feel, if you just play this out in your mind, you can just feel the burden that this man is on his family. And then he goes there, and you know what the assumption is? Is that he needs money. Why? Because that's what he's begging for. Because we've never asked for something that everybody knew wasn't what we needed. What the believers of God and what Peter and John know is that in people's lives... Like, as much as they might need material things or think that they need material things, what every single person really needs is a divine encounter with the Lord. Like, it's to know the good God who saves people. It's to be changed by a wonderful Christ who can mold you into the idea and the purpose of the maker which created you and thought of you from the very beginning. This is what it says. Look in verse 4. Peter, along with John, and I love this. It's a very subtle focus. But I love this. It says, they looked straight at him. And then they asked him, look at us. No other attention was given anywhere else. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said to them, I don't have silver or gold. In the King James, New King James, it says, Silver and gold have I none. But what I do give to you, what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. A couple of years ago, I was um, I had a student that was kind of in our ministry a little bit. Um, he didn't, he wasn't really a great student in our ministry. Um, he grew up in church, but when he got to college, um, he just never really unlocked his potential. Like, I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I mean it like in a, like just a factual observational way. Like I have students that come in, man, they love God. They track with God. Some of them, their lives get changed through our ministry and through some of the churches. Are, and man, they, they just start sharing the gospel with their friends. They start leading their friends in Bible studies. They start trying to make God known in some of the scholarship programs that they're in. And like, and they just do it. Like, they're, they're not superheroes. Like, they're not, like, they got their own sin struggles. They're like, they're just ordinary people that have an extraordinary God and make incredible things happen in their life, spiritually. Uh, but... I sat down with this guy, and I, usually their senior year, I try to take them to lunch at some point in time that year, and 
we went to Gus's world famous fried chicken in, in Little Rock, you know. And we get down there to Gus's and I ordered, I can't remember, I ordered some kind of chicken, you know, and he ordered like salad or something like that. And I was like, a salad? Like, I mean, it almost hurt me when he ordered it, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like, it's inappropriate, you know what I mean? Like, like you don't go to Gus's and order a salad, like, you know what I mean? Like, we got to have a talk, you know? And, and we sat down, he was real disgruntled, you know, when we sat down and I knew something was off. I said, well, man, I was like, you doing okay? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, you know, you ordered a salad, you're not hungry? He goes, no, I just... I just don't really like Gus's. And I, I would say this, like when I invite students to lunch, like we can go anywhere. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, like he, I picked Gus's. He was like, yeah, sure. Like, so it was like his nightmare, you know, what we were living through, I guess. And so, and I was like, well, man, like, why don't you like Gus's? He goes, well, you know, like, I've just come to a place in my life where I really don't like processed food. I like food that's like, like grown on the farm, grass fed, yard fed, that kind of stuff. And I, to be honest with you, and if you're like this, that's fine. I'm just not like that, and so I don't know what that means. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> and I don't know in my life, <laughs> like, that I'm ever going to be there, to be honest with you. Like, I like eating a lot, and so um, and I like eating whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I've gotten, I think, less picky as I've had kids, you know. Like, I eat their stuff after they're finished. And, <laughs> and so, um, anyway, so he sit down, and he tells me that. I was like, oh, okay, man, yeah, sure. And, uh, and we talked for a little bit longer. I said, well, man, how's your faith going? Like, how are you doing in your faith? And he says, um, yeah, that, that's actually something I wanted to talk to you about. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, I'm just not feeling this anymore. I was like, feeling what? And he goes, I just, I just don't, I don't know that I believe in God. I don't know that I want to believe in God. I was like, okay. I was like, do you want to just say a little bit more about it? He goes, yeah. He goes, so last time we came to your service... He's like, I just feel like y'all were just trying to cram Jesus down people's throats, man. Like you had an invitation at the end of it where you asked for people to respond. You were asking people to pray over chairs and stuff like that so that people would respond. You got everybody inviting everybody, trying to help them feel welcome so that they could, you know, maybe meet God. He goes, I just feel like you're tricking people, man. And I was like, oh, well, this is a great lunch. You know what I mean? Like, let me eat my guesses real quick, you know. And I said, well, man, I was like... Um, I'm sorry you feel that way. I, I think you're I think you're misunderstanding kind of what's going on. He's like, how? He's like, I've grown up in church. I know the deal. I, all y'all are doing is tricking people. And I said, I was like, man, whenever you came and you start, you switched your eating habits from like grass-fed food to non-processed food to grass-fed food. What happened in that pro, in the time that that happened? He said, well, I, I, I started reading some stuff. I watched a few documentaries. I started learning how that stuff gets processed uh, through. I said, so this is what happened. I'll say this, and you agree with me if this is what happened. There was information that came in, into your mind that you had not really known that much about. And when that information came into your mind, it was really compelling. Like it, it kind of made you want to change up what you were doing. He said, yeah. I said, okay. So you converted he goes, whoa, man, don't you start that? I'm like, no, man. Like, you're up here caught, like, saying that I've committed high treason. I'm tricking people. I'm manipulating them and all this kind of stuff. I was like, listen, like, those are strong accusations, and I get it if that's what's happening. We, but, man, we compel people to change their mind about stuff all the time. 
Like we just do it with sports teams and business ideas and business ventures and houses and colors on carpets and walls and all that. We just do it with everything else. So the moment that I do it in the religious arena about Jesus who's changed my life, no doubt about it, no turning back, can't deny it. Like it's just real in my life, man. And I would say it's the one thing out of all the things in life that are compelling. Like it's the one thing that I'm most compelled about. I was like, and you're telling me that like we don't do that every day? I was like, nah, man, that ain't real. Like you're mad about something and you're projecting that onto me. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I think that's fine. Like you're not going to get any kickback from me. But I'll just say this. I want you to know this from the bottom of my heart. Jesus loves you too much for you to sit down at a lunch and be mad at God Because you're not really considering about how God works in this world. It's a miscomparison is what you're doing. I was like, God loves you too much, man. He loved you so much that he sent his only son that he has. He didn't have another one. He sent the only son because the only way in the world for you to have access to him, not only for right now, but for the rest of your life, is through that son. And he willfully did it. That son was beaten and bruised. And I said, and you know the rest of the story. I said, so man, for me, I cannot act like God's not real. I cannot act like Jesus doesn't exist. And he's not the best thing going in my life. I can't. And for you, if, if you feel like I'm manipulating people, I said, I just want you to know, Like, if that's the way you're going to call it, I think that's really harsh. Especially when we do it all the time. But man, I'm going to keep sharing the only good news that I know to share. And I'll just say this to you this morning. This is what happens in Acts chapter 3. Money is the currency that was given based on the assumption of what they thought that they needed. And I'm not saying that people in this world don't need money. And you might find yourself in a circumstance where you really would like money. You need more than what you got. But I'm just going to go and tell you, there's plenty of people that have money that don't have God and are super unsatisfied with their life. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, there's a song we sang yesterday. It says, I've searched the world and it's always failed me. Man's empty praise, treasures that fade were never enough. They were never enough, man. You can get so much of this life and more of it, and it's never going to be enough. And this is what it says about Jesus. That Jesus satisfies every need that we have. He'll satisfy you this morning. Listen, this is what I want you to know this morning. I ain't got nothing to share with you other than the good news of Jesus. I don't have a self-help theory. I don't have seven steps to a better life. I don't have like a five-fold plan to an everlasting inheritance. I have one God that I know through one Bible and one Savior that leads us to the Father. And that's all I got, man. And this is what I would say. Regardless of how seen you felt, you might be in this room right now, and this man, you identify with him because nobody sees you. The truth that lies there is that God is absolutely aware of you. And he's so aware of you that he sent his only son from heaven to
to earth to live a perfect, sinless life so that me and you can have an everlasting, eternal life with him if we give our lives to Jesus. So, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pray. And I don't know if you're a prayer. I don't know how prayer works in your life. But it's going to go very simply. This is how it's going to go. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. There's, I would say this. There's no disrespect with this. If you'll just do that. It's, it's trying to create a private moment in a public setting. But if you'll just do that right now. If you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes for me this morning. If you're in the room this morning and you realize that Jesus is not a part of your life. He's not the one thing that if somebody was begging for years that you would share with them. But this morning you want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You realize that you've lived your entire life in rebellion to God. And this morning you want to give your life to Christ. I would ask you, don't, do, don't say it out loud, but just say it in your heart. Just pray this prayer right after the name. There's no magic in this prayer, but it just helps us get down the road with what we need to do. Just say this in your heart and mind. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. God, I've lived my entire life not focused on you and not focused on the people that you've put around me. I repent of my sins, and I want to live with you now and for the rest of my life. If that's you this morning, and you prayed that prayer, what I'm going to do is I want to celebrate with you. If you prayed that prayer, you've never prayed that prayer before, we want to celebrate with you this morning. And I'm going to give a simple countdown, just a three, two, one. And when it gets to one, I just want you to stand up where you are. As soon as you stand up, we're going to go mad crazy, and we're going to start clapping. Because it is awesome that you made that decision this morning. There's no pressure to this. If, if, if you prayed that prayer and you're really, really nervous about it, this is the only thing that I would encourage you with. Is that one of the things that we do with our lives after we give our life to the Lord is we prob- publicly announce to other people that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And you won't have to say it this morning, but you standing is every evidence that that's happened in your life. So I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to go three, two, one. And if that's you, just stand up real quick. Three, two, one. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in the room this morning and you're like those people that entered the temple every single day, And you just pass people by. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that you know doesn't know the Lord. If that's you this morning, you know somebody that doesn't know the Lord, but you really want them to know the Lord, would you just poke your hand up just for a second? I just want to pray for you in this moment. Amen. Amen. I just want to pray for you. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, this morning, as the band plays the last song, this is what I would encourage you to do. I'd encourage you either in the chair that you're at or in the altar that stands before you. I would encourage you, just like the man who got up and was rejoicing and leaping and praising God, I would encourage you to pray. 
Pray for somebody that you know that doesn't know Christ. As the band sings the last song, if you got a family member and both of you all know, like it's like a son or a daughter or an auntie or a cousin or something like that, and both of you all want to come up to the altar and pray, if you got kids or something like that, like you can just come drop them off by me. I'll hold them while you pray together as a family. I'd encourage you if you've got a baby and you want to pray up to the altar, I'd bring the baby, man. I bring my kids, they're five and four down to the altar. I'm scared to death that they're going to do backflips off the stage. But I'd encourage you, as we respond this morning, don't leave here not doing business with God. And don't leave here with a person who's on your heart deeply that you don't cry out to God and ask them to save their soul. God, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.